Hello, this is Pastor Iris from the UK. You know, you're going to be blessed when you discover the Jewish roots of your faith in the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I just got something here that I want to share with you. The Passover represents our salvation. And we're saved from the wrath of God by faith in the blood of the Passover lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John 1.29. Jesus was slain on Passover as the perfect fulfillment of the Lamb that saved the Israelites on the very first Passover. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, Exodus 12.13. Unleavened bread, it's also called matzah or the bread of affliction, represents sanctification. Matzah is flat because it is devoid of yeast, which represents wickedness, pride, and that which causes us to be puffed up or to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 and 7, chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, tells us that your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old leaven, with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread, matzah, of sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians 5.8 well, We've basically been through the whole week of unleavened bread, which obviously represents our sanctification and accomplished through affliction, trials and testing and the purging of pride in order to teach us humility and obedience by the things that we suffer in our wilderness experiences. Deuteronomy 8.2 refers and it says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. The first fruits are, are also called... Um, Bikurim in Hebrew, which occurs the day after the, the first day of unleavened bread. Although there is some disagreement as to the timing, but represents res res resurrection. Just as the barley is offered up to the Lord as the first crop after winter, so Jesus was also raised from the dead on the, first, on the feast of the first fruits. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 tells us, but now the Messiah is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. From these distinct elements within Passover, we can understand that between the events of salvation and resurrection is a process of sanctification. Passover, unleavened bread, First fruits, salvation, sanctification, resurrection. 
When the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, they also had to go through a sanctification process which took them through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Even though the Israelites entered into a covenant with God in the wilderness and came to understand their identity as God's treasured possession there, sometimes they responded to hardship and barrenness of the wilderness with discouragement. In the wilderness, they also lost heart, they lost hope, and they longed for Egypt, grumbled and murmured and complained. And for that reason, they all perished bar two, and that was Joshua and Caleb, who followed the Lord wholeheartedly and kept the faith. The bodies of the other Israelites lay scattered across the vast wilderness. Even Jesus spent time in the wilderness. Perhaps it was the Judean or the Negev desert. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, led him there to be tempted by the devil. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11 covers that story. The Negev is not an easy place to live, even with air conditioning. It's a land of snakes and scorpions, and a place of great danger, and yet the wilderness is not a punishment, but a necessary stage in our spiritual journey. It's often God who leads us into the wilderness experiences to humble us, to test us, to refine our faith, and to teach us perseverance and endurance. If we come out of it alive, we do so leaning on our beloved instead of relying on our own strength or limited sufficiency. And you can see that written in the Song of Song, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 5. The wilderness can be our spiritual university where we learn to trust in and depend upon the Lord. And only God knows how long that lesson will take. For believers in the vast space between salvation and the resurrection lies the wilderness, a dry and thirsty land where water is scarce. But this is where we are sanctified. Because it is so easy to lose heart in the wilderness, our sanctification process, our response to the trials and challenges will determine how well we make it through to the resurrection. Discouragement during our wilderness is an especially powerful weapon of the enemy because of its enfeebling, demoralizing effect. This is not so with hatred, jealousy and fear and other negative states that may cause us to act foolishly, to, even to fight or to run. With these emotional attacks, at least we act. But discouragement, on the other hand, hurts us the most because it ultimately saps the energy right out of us, causing us to sit down, pity ourselves and do nothing. Discouragement causes us to give in to temptation of the enemy who whispers, oh, just give up. Hopelessness is a very dangerous state of being. In fact, scripture tells us that hope deferred 
makes the heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12. When hope is lost, the day with no name. It's a day with no name. The scripture reading between Passover and Bikurim is simply called Intermediate Sabbath. So in the Jewish in the Jewish religion, all of these little things are taken into account. It doesn't even have a name, this, this hopelessness. It doesn't actually have a name like other uh, uh, Parshiot does have. It describes a time of hopelessness for Israel, wandering the nations without God's blessing to protect them. As, they were, as if they were living in the valley of dried up bones. In our own valleys of dried up dreams and desires, when all hope seems lost, we wonder if everything has been in vain, if the sun will ever shine again in our grieving hearts. Israel asked the same question in the Haftarah, reading for this particular intermediate Sabbath, of the Passover, That's, that was Saturday. The dry bones which represent the whole house of Israel say, in Ezekiel 37:11, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Sometimes we feel that we have been cut off from hope itself, but so often when we feel the darkness is closing in on us, at that moment, God is doing his greatest work. Never underestimate the Lord. Likewise, it is when Israel's hope in itself is completely destroyed that God's promise of restoration comes forth as a breath of life. Ezekiel 37, 13 through 14 refers when it says, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, and I will put my spirit, Ruach, I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. Ruach, the Hebrew word for spirit, is the same word used in verses 5 and 6 that is translated breath. B-R-E-A-T-H, breath. I will cause breath, ruach, to enter into you and you shall live. You're going to breathe again. Jesus arrived four days after his friend Lazarus had died and had been placed in the tomb. So everyone's hope in Lazarus then, being raised from the dead, was completely lost. So why did Jesus wait for four days? Well, Jewish tradition holds that a person's soul hovers around its physical body for three days. But after this time period, the soul leaves. Therefore, the Jewish people who witnessed Lazarus's death were convinced on the fourth day that the situation was completely and totally without any hope whatsoever. Even the soul of the deceased 
had departed. But Jesus called out, Lazarus, I'm going to try and pronounce this one, come out. That's what it means, come out. And Lazarus came out of his grave and he lived. One thing, however, needed to be done before Lazarus could come out of the tomb. The stone had to be rolled away. Somebody had to do it and it wasn't going to be Jesus. While he could easily have rolled it away himself or even commanded the heavy stone to move and it would have, it would have obeyed him, he called upon the people to participate in the miracle. Jesus said to them, take away the stone, John eleven thirty nine. Why? Well, perhaps he wanted to teach us that we're not to be completely passive and expect God to do everything for us. Maybe there is a stone standing between us and our miracle right now. With a virus out there, just think about that one. The stone that is standing between us and our miracle right now is COVID-19. We have to rise above that and see that our God is able to do all things and he will make all things possible if we would just get out of the way, keep our mouths zipped and believe in him and cry out to him. Perhaps all that is needed is to draw upon the faith and strength that's within us to take away the stone under God's direction. Then we will be witness, then we will witness God perform um, a resurrection in our own life. Hallelujah. I mean, we've just got to give God a chance to do that. Like the people around Lazarus who thought Jesus came too late, really. Because sometimes we find ourselves in an utterly hopeless situation where it's so tempting to give in to despair and depression. But this is exactly what we should be reaching out for a miracle to the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. John eleven twenty five. Before our situation became hopeless, we may have been counting on God to show up to perform a miracle but it seems that he did a no-show and the relationship or the the business or whatever we were hoping for died that is when deep disappointment sets in where was god we ask where was his power when i needed him we could sit there looking at that stone crying and thinking it's just too heavy or too hard to move or we can just move away the obstacle, let God in and see miracles come forth. I pray, may we hear the voice of our good shepherd and obey what he tells us to do, to see that miracle happen. Even if it doesn't make sense or seems impossible in the natural, we have to continue to hope. And we are hoping. Jesus' disciples also knew hopelessness and utter despair. 
at Passover, after Jesus' death on the cross, it looked like all hope was lost and that the forces of evil had triumphed. His disciples wandered about in confusion and sorrow. They had hoped that this, finally, was the real deal. After so many false messiahs, they believed that he was the, truly the, the, the Mashiach who would redeem Israel from Roman oppression and restore the kingdom of Israel. After Jesus' ex execution, two disciples were travelling to a village seven miles from Jerusalem. They walked together, chatting and reasoning about the event. We're quite sad, Dimenos. But when Je Jesus came near and walked with them along the road, Still their eyes were restrained and they did not recognise him. Luke 24, 1. Jesus' disciples had a certain expectation of how God was going to work things out. But even though things didn't work or happen the way that they thought it should, this was God's greatest triumph over darkness. In their darkest hour, in their utter hopelessness, they couldn't see that hope was walking right alongside them. For Jesus is a living hope. 1 Peter 1 verses 3 to 4 tells us so. Isn't this just like us when we've experienced a disappointment? We've just got to find somebody to talk to about it. We try reasoning the thing out to somehow make sense out of something that just doesn't make sense at all. And this often causes more sorrow. When things don't work out the way we had hoped they would, it could be that redemption is right there with us, walking alongside us. Sometimes that living hope is right under our noses but we don't perceive it because it comes in the form that we didn't quite expect. In our darkest hours, we must remember that God never leaves us, for he safeguards our soul as we travel through the wilderness, which is where we are sanctified. There, in our wilderness, our ultimate hope, in Jesus and his resurrection. You who are the hope of Israel, its saviour in times of distress. Jeremiah 14.8 quotes that one. You can make a difference. This, this, pass, this particular Passover or Easter this is the covenant, this is what the Lord says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Hebrews 10.16 And it's the challenge that we have right now. I want people to realise, especially this Easter, because COVID-19 isn't really peaking around the world at all. It, just, just, it looks like it is growing and growing and growing. 
But I want you all to realise we must not give up. We must not lose hope. We must believe that God will do what he said he would do. So stand aside, wait and see what the Lord will do for you because the, the enemy that you see before you, you're going to see no more, ever. God will deliver us. You get into that, that place with him, that sanctuary, that resurrection power that came on Jesus is there for us. You know, I can't express this enough. It's not entirely God's fault, is it, that these things have happened when you look and see what the Bible has said will happen, especially in Revelation. So, I hope all of you who are listening right now will understand the necessity to bow before the Lord God Almighty, confess your sins, ask for forgiveness and, and repent. Repent is simply whatever it was, just do not do it again. Purpose in your heart never to do that again. It's as simple as that. For those of you who don't know Jesus or perhaps have slipped away doing your own thing, come back. Come back and lay your heart bare before the Lord and let him repair the damage because he will, you know. This Easter, this Passover, is the most precious one I have ever known because it coincides with the angel of death that covered the Jewish people from the very first Passover. It's not just a holiday. It is a, it's when the angel of death passed over and, and the, the Jewish people lived while God and the angel of death swept through Egypt and, and killed all the Egyptians and awful things like that. So because that blood is on our doorposts, figuratively speaking, you can go out there and you can anoint your doorposts. I do it often. But because it's there, when you step inside and stay in your home, it is not punishment. God has you and me, all of us, where he wants us. When you're safely inside your own home, you can be closer to God than you can be being busy outside. It's not punishment. My day is so full I, you know, <clears throat> I hardly get any time to myself. But since the pressure has been lifted, I'm rather enjoying my, my time at home. And I've come back to that place of hearing God's voice again. 
So I'm going to say, God bless you. Keep your hope ripe. Look to the Lord and believe what I've just told you. The enemy that you see before you in this virus. God says you will see it no more. Let God be God and you be you and wait. In the mighty name of Jesus, this is Pastor Iris signing off from the UK and I will be back soon. Bye-bye.